This is Food First Michigan on News Talk 760 WJR. Sponsored by the Food Bank Council of Michigan. Creating a food secure state. And by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Phil Knight and Jerry Brisson. Welcome everyone and thanks for listening. Recently, Jerry and I attended a conference that, among other things, forecasted the food supply chain over the next few years. Obviously, when your mission is to create food security across the entire state, then food is essential quality for that mission. Sourcing food is a key paramount practice that we must be great at. I mean great like da Vinci, Mozart, and innovative like George Washington Carver, and successful like Malcolm Forbes, E.F. Hutton, and the like. Even if it's just for a period of time, we've got to win like Michael Jordan. We must source food like lives depend on it, because it does. From the farmers to our hungry neighbors who are struggling with more month than money, we cannot accept anything short of greatness. The challenge is before us because the USDA is projecting all food sources to be lower and slower coming to us in the near future. Here in Michigan, our growing season is super short anyway, but yet we remain the second most diverse state in the U.S. when it comes to growing a variety of foods. We lead the nation in several categories, including asparagus, black beans, squash, cranberries, and ready for this, Niagara grapes. Michigan agriculture employs over 800,000 people that makes up 17% of the workforce across the state. And the sector contributes a whopping $105 billion to the state's economy, and yet it just keeps on raining across the state this spring. And this spring, the rain is hampering all of us in agriculture in a very real and significant way. Our farmers simply cannot get their crops in the field. Jerry and I are going to talk about the USDA report just released that informs us how much food has been planted in the field right now. Hear from a farmer, Jeannie Eigel, who is battling this fight to grow the food we all need here in the state, as well as the director of the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development, Gary McDowell. A farmer himself will be with us today. You come back and join us on this edition of Food First Michigan. Welcome back, everyone, and it's Food First Michigan. Jerry Brisson is in the studio with me, and as promised, our guest is Jeannie Eigel. And Jeannie, welcome to Food First Michigan. Well, thank you. I'm glad I have a chance to speak with you. Well, tell us a little bit about yourself, because I know that you're um, you're serving on the, the county of um, the Farm Bureau Board there for Ingham County, and... Uh, you you've you're on a farm and it's been a generational farm in your family so tell us a little bit about yourself to introduce you to our listeners and then we'll jump into some of the challenges that we're facing here in Michigan right now okay um, I'm fourth generation farm our farm's been in the family since 1862 and we farm about 2500 acres of corn and soybeans and I am active off the farm I am the county vice president for Ingham County Farm Bureau I'm on our state policy development committee with uh, Farm Bureau and also on the state feed grain and oil seed advisory committee. 
along with other activities. Well, it sounds like you're the exact person that we needed to talk to today because, um, you know, I drove down to the studio to, to, uh, to work on the show today, and I drove through a lot of rain, and it looks like there's a lot more rain coming even today. And we've had rain all spring. And what is that? What's the challenge, and how does that – we're hearing different reports about how much crop is in the field or not in the field, and, and we're just trying to get a handle on it. And we thought we'd talk to someone who would know and got boots on the ground. Yeah, this has been a spring like we've never seen before. We're normally done planting by Memorial Day, we hope. Um, this year, it's been plant a day here, plant a day there. We're planting in in soils that we would normally say, oh, let's wait a few days and then we'll plant. And we're like, hey, we got a break. Let's get something in the ground. Hmm. And we've only got uh, 68% planted right now. We're a month behind. Wow. Wow. And there's, I had a friend that was up last weekend, and she said that in northern Indiana, where she's at, they had 15% planted last month or last week. Yeah, we're so hearing the same thing from Ohio, too, that the the whole Midwest is just, uh, you know, it's it's the opposite of the Dust Bowl, right? I mean, you know, the so many years ago you had the crisis with the Dust Bowl, and now we've got a crisis with the swamp. I don't even know what to call it. We're just calling it wet. Yeah, right. <laughs> right. Right, right. So, yeah, we so had, yeah, we had two to three inches of rain this morning by 8 o'clock. It was gosh. still raining. So tell us, give us a wow. little bit of insight into your process of, okay, we got we have to make a decision, and we know there's some pressure around that, and there's pluses and minuses and risks and timing, and give us a little insight into, is this something you wake up in the morning and do, or is it every two hours, or is, you know, how do you, how do you go about staying on top of it? Well, the decisions are made by the seat of the pants right now, because we went out uh, the other day, we were out planting, we didn't start until suppertime. And we weren't wow. sure that morning we were going to plant, but we decided, you know, we got a little window, let's push some more in. And it's just, it's been, you know, you play it by ear. There's no deciding ahead of time. Just by the moment, it's not quite a nine-to-five job, is it? That's never been a nine-to-five job. <laughs> Farmers never go that that easy. Right. We saw recently, uh, in fact, even uh, last night in preparing for the show, Jeannie, that um, Governor Whitmer sent a letter to Secretary Purdue at the USDA uh, asking him to declare um, secretarial emergency for a vast number of our counties in the state because of this extremely wet weather. We saw some statistics from USDA that said that 80-some-odd percent of the corn was in the field, whereas two and a half weeks ago it was only like 25%. And then I saw an article early this morning from Brownfield that said, we don't know where USDA is getting those numbers from because I don't know anybody who's got 80% of their crop in the field. So could you respond to some of those conflicting reports for us? I'm not sure where they're getting their information either. And even if it is in the ground because it's planted planted late and it's planted in wet, the yields are going to be down. We're going to have more problem with insects and disease. We're going to have more problems putting the nitrogen on it. We're going to have problems with drowned out spots, our soybeans especially, because they don't take wet feet. So any place you have water sitting on them for a number of hours, that's going to 
be detrimental to the crop. Right, right. Well, I'm I'm hopeful that Secretary Purdue responds positively to this, and um, and we'll be having uh, Director Gary McDowell on here later a, l- a little bit in the show, and we'll see if we can get an update from him as well on where that where we might be in that process and. Jerry? So as you're working with uh, the various committees and things that you're on or running, is there, a, is there any efforts going on locally where people are starting to talk about how do we help each other? Well, that's one thing that is a concern is farmers are very independent, but when we're faced with a crisis like this, we need to open up to each other and let them know that, you know, this is stressing us out. Because getting bleeding ulcers is not going to help anything. And it's just, it's very stressful. I mean, my husband goes and he talks to some of his friends and stuff about what's going on. And you're, you're really surprised to see, yeah, I've got it bad, but somebody else has it worse. Right. Well, I think there is a sense of family that has always been a part of the agricultural culture. And we want to talk to you a little bit about that on the other side of this break, Jeannie. She's Jeannie Eigel. He's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. Come back and be with us. We'll finish this conversation up with Jeannie. We'll be right back. We're back here. Thanks for listening, everyone. Jerry Brisson, Dr. Phil Knight here in the studio with our guest, Jeannie Igel. And Jeannie, one of the things we missed when we introduced you to our listeners is um, the location of your 2,500 acres and uh, that's, that your family's been farming since 1862. Where, where are you guys located? We're actually out in Aurelius, and that's in uh, Ingham County. Okay. All right. So um, we touched at the end of the um, last segment there about some of the emotional toil and strain uh, that farmers are facing because of this. And, and I mean, you know, it's, it's always dealing with the great unknowns, you know, even in, in uh, situations that aren't as severe as what we're in right now. But we are in a severe thing, and that, um, and that has to take its toll on farmers. Talk to us a little bit about what you're hearing, and are there some supports for services to come around and come alongside of our farmers uh, as they're faced with this tragic and difficult challenge? Oh, yeah. It's, it's very scary right now because even if we do get our crop in the ground, um, it's been so cool out that we may not get the heat units we need to make it ripen. If we get an early frost, that's going to do damage to the crop. You know, if it doesn't get right, then we're sitting there with all that money sitting in the field with a crop that's not worth anything. Right. So it's going to be challenging. Um, there are help. There is help available. Um, if you go to the local FSA number or FSA office, they have a phone number that uh, you can call for help. If you need to talk to somebody, you can talk to neighboring farmers. Talk. Go to the F or the Farm Bureau. Um, they have numbers available of people you can talk to. Um, you know, we're all in the same boat. Some of them have it a little leakier than others. You know, our our livestock people, they're really in a bind because, you know, they have to have feed for their animals. Right. And I know over in Wisconsin, they had uh, the hay got froze out when we had that polar vortex. So there goes one of their main sources of food for their animals. So we need to do something like emergency forage where we can plant some cover crops and harvest it for the animals. They've got to be fed. There's no going back. 
Yeah, there's more than one kind of corn, isn't there? Feed corn and sweet corn, and they're both important for the food supply chain and and so many other things. And I know soybeans are often used in uh, in feed for animals too, aren't they? Oh yeah, yeah. The soybean meal can be used for feed. Um, you know, a lot of swine uses the soybean meal, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, you just there's a lot of a lot of the crops we grow. We don't grow the sweet corn. We grow field corn. And our corn will go into feed, it'll go into corn oil, it goes into alcohol. Um, you know, our beans might go into feed for the animals, they might go into soybean oil. We grow some of our soybeans for seed, so it's going to be seed for the farmers for next year. Mm-hmm. That could be a challenge if we don't have seed. So, And this doesn't affect just the farmers. This is a, a domino effect because if the farmers don't have money, they're not buying equipment they're not buying fertilizer. They're not, you know, they're not adding to the community. Right. So it has a ripple effect on the economy. And it's one of the things we often talk about on the show is, you know, a lot of people have an idea about who's hungry and why people get hungry that doesn't line up with what actually happens. So this, what we're talking about here is an example of how life happens and when it happens a lot of people who get impacted aren't impacted because they're lazy or they've made a bad choice. In this case, it's just flat out, you know, bad luck compounded by um, not just the rain but the cold, right? So, so, mm-hmm. so that's going to create more need. It really will, and we want to be there, walking alongside all the people who get affected by things like this. And that's what food banks do. That's why we're organized. We're organized to be there at times like this, and I'm sure we will be there. And probably there's something as we move along here that we want to make sure people in your community know where they can get emergency food help if they need it. So. I'm not sure, Phil, what uh, what we should do about that, but we, we probably ought to start thinking about getting that message out. Yep, absolutely. Well, we <clears throat> we do. We want to come alongside uh, our farmers and, and also the people that we traditionally serve in the community that, you know, as we say here on the show, have a little bit more month than they do money. And um, with what we're learning from Jeannie and what we're hearing from other sources as well, um, we've got to be prepared because this is going to have a... Um, maybe ripples, not quite the right adjective, but it is going to have an impact on the 104.7 billion dollar, uh, you know, impact that the that agriculture has on the state's economy. So, she's Jeannie Igel. She is uh, a leader in this movement, and she's got literally wet boots on the ground out in the field. And Jeannie, we we just have to close this segment out by saying to you uh, two very important words. And that is for a family that has uh, farmed for generations, um, we have to say thank you because uh, we know from the food bank perspective that solving hunger starts in the field and we can't do it without you. And we thank you for your leadership as well as your investment of how you're impacting all of our community across the state. Well, thank you. Welcome back, everyone. As promised, Gary McDowell, the director for the Michigan Agriculture and Rural Development Department of State of Government. And uh, Gary, you and I have been together uh, well uh, enough now that I felt comfortable to call you Gary rather than Director McDowell. 
But uh, we thank you for taking the time to be on the show today to talk about some of the challenges that our farmers are facing in the field right now. So welcome to Food First Michigan. Well, thank you for the opportunity. Our farmers are, at this time, really struggling. It's probably one of the wettest years we've had. And, of course, farming is so reliant upon the weather. And this has been one of the wettest years we've had. And we're so so far behind in our planning right now. And even what has been planted, a lot of it's just not going to do well. We get all that water. Then to get warm weather right away, it... um, it just it gets some soil gets so hard, and where water's laying, of course, um, the plants just can't germinate. So sometimes you have to go out and plant two or three times, um, and we're getting late in the year now. But the stress right now has just got to be on, just unbelievably right tough for these families. It doesn't just affect the farmer; we forget about his family, his mm-hmm. his wife, his children, his parents, and our yeah. herds. You know, I farm too, and not anymore, but I was stepped out of it with my two, two brothers. And we had some really wet years through the mid-90s. It just rained and rained. You couldn't get on the fields. I mean, we'll keep watching that weather channel. There's nothing else to do, you know. And hmm. My wife said, why do you keep watching it? It's the same same dismal re- report every eight <laughs> minutes, you know. And I always think about that. I look at this. I don't know. I just got to do something. <laughs> you just, right. Then you just stand, but not that. You just stand in the doorway and look out there and see that rain. You just want to get out there so bad, and you can't. I worked on Sonny's two governor campaigns when he ran for governor in Georgia. His pastor, one of his pastors is, you know, his son's a pastor. Uh, when he was governor, if he was going south toward home, he stopped at one of my best friends has a church down in Milner, we have a personal mm-hmm. connection there, so oh. if I can, yeah. if I can uh, warm the room up there a little bit <laughs> at any time, I, I'd be oh. happy to to give him a hug and uh, yeah, and ask him to do whatever he could do for us. He asked his two sons to pray for us. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so why don't you give us some context? I mean, from a state of Michigan perspective, as you're, you've got a pretty important job dealing with, uh, you know, on a statewide level, what this might mean. And so there's economic impact. There's obviously impact to the amount of food available. There's trade impact. I mean, Michigan is such an important agricultural state. So, I mean, how do you put this issue into context in all those ways? I guess when, like you just explained, there are so many different ways of looking at this. And, of course, our first, it goes, our hearts and everything goes out to our producers, to our farmers. But they're tremendous pressures that they are on right now. And actually, there's been quite an increase in what we call it farm stress, our farmers. Um, when you look out there day after day, and you only got a limited amount of days, and it just keeps raining like today, there's really not much you can do. And I can only work on the equipment so much. And mm-hmm. we can sit there and watch the weather channel. And every eight minutes, they give you the same dismal forecast. <laughs> it really starts to to work on you. And and um, and right now, we're really worried about farm stress. That's one of our main issues, working with um, Michigan State, looking at some ways that they can get um, counselors out in the field through MSU and um I just our farmers. We just our hearts go out to them right now. The struggles that they are facing. We've, um, as far as reporting, we got some latest numbers from USDA that um, 
our our corn, I think they're looking at 63% mm-hmm. of the corn hasn't planted. That was we thought would be in the ground. Soybeans is only at 43%. But this also has an impact, of course, on our dairy farmers, our cattle farmers, because they rely on that corn, corn silage for their feed. And they're really concerned that they're going to have forage some feed to get their livestock through the winter. And it just um, it just keeps snowballing like that. Um, the governor did yesterday. She did send a letter out to U.S. Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue asking to declare Michigan uh, a disaster it's because of the wet periods we had and how far we are behind on our planning and the impact it's going to have on our farmers, on our across the board. And, of course, um, I'm not sure what was that, how it all end up, and I don't think anybody does at this time because our farmers are very resilient. We get a little break in the weather, they can get going, and just hope and hope and that we get a great fall. If we have a nice September and October, we still could get some fairly fairly decent crops. Of course, that's a great big if. And this time, with farmers are under so much stress already because of the low prices of our commodities. And um, then with the, the rough weather and then conditions totally out of their control, like the recent tariffs mm-hmm. um, that we place on our farmers, we're losing markets there. It's just a, a really very, very stressful time for our farm community. When you talk to farmers, they feel very responsible to make sure they do their work well, great even, because they know the rest of us are depending on it. And for us, in the context of the Food Bank Council and our seven food banks across the state, you know, hunger, solving hunger starts in the field. And when these guys are, and, and men and women of the agriculture are struggling, particularly at the level they are at the current year, it's, you know, it, our hearts go out to them as well. And we want to know how we, what we can do just to show them our appreciation and love and, and respect that we have for all they're doing for all of us. Yeah, you make a great point. Um, this afternoon, we are having a meeting with USDA right here in Lansing. The director for the crop insurance program for the four Midwest counties here that he serves is going to be here. We're looking at um, the possibility, and this um and Senator Stavanaugh and Senator Peters, Peters have already both sent letters to Secretary Purdue, too, um, just looking at this um, preventive plant acreage. Mm-hmm. Right. That we could, that they would be able to this year, because of extraordinary challenges, that they could plant some kind of a cover crop, something green, be it alfalfa, soybeans, whatever. But knowing perfectly well, it would never be able to harvest as a crop, but we could use it for forage. or in a, mm-hmm. So it's... Um, Something green to get in those silos to get our get our dairy farmers, our cattle producers, sheep that through the through the winter. We're hoping that that would be possible. And like I said, we're meeting this afternoon on that issue and talking to USDA. Of course, they're just as concerned as we are here at MDARD, or you are at the food council, and and um, and right across the state. So hopefully we can. I get a resolution of that this year. I know it's going to be some difficulties because it is an insurance program, but just like anything, if there's a will there, we should be able to find a way to help our producers, help our farmers get through this um, year where, just like you said, it just seems like everything is going against them right now. You made the point, and I made it earlier, that 
somehow we just feel like our farmers are going to be able to pull it out for us. But sometimes it's just like anything when the weather the weather just does not change. It's, it's, it just can't happen. And of course, for us in in food banks, what we're anticipating and and already having meetings to to talk about and figure out is well, we're going to get hit twice, right? We're going to see more people needing help. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we're going to see less food available. So we're trying to figure out the impact on us. And as you say, we can't, we don't know. We, and for the same reasons that you just described, we're, we're anticipating a range of what mm-hmm. the impact might be on both ends and then try to figure out how do we get together statewide to help meet that need. And, uh, and that's going to be, you know, an ongoing yeah. conversation as we get through the summer here. I had one farmer tell me if he could get everything in by July 4th, he'd probably be at least able to say maybe he'll make it. Yeah. But it really is. I mean, it's getting closer to July yeah. 4th by the day, yeah. and it's still cold. It's a high of 65 degrees today. It's still cold and it's still so wet. The ground really hasn't had a chance to even warm up. I'm from the UP, and um, and we up there we're still underwater. Right. I don't think anybody has got on the fields yet. Of course, we're a very small piece of the total agriculture in Michigan. But when you drive down, you go right down the southeast portion of the state. Um, that's one of the wettest wettest portions. I think very little has been cropped crops have gotten in there. We do have some areas where it's a little bit better. Um, far from good, but I guess like the thumb area around Saginaw, they've gotten more in there. But then just north of here, St. Johnson, that they're still same thing. They're a heavier soil, a little lower lying ground. And how they, well, I came through there yesterday, and I was talking to the security guard here at the building this morning. He was telling me where he lives, just north of Lansing here. Um, his next door neighbor's farms, and he went to bed at midnight, and they were still out there planting. So Jeez. that just shows you what what type of people our farmers are. If they get a little break, they're going to make definitely make the most of it. Every effort they have to get those seeds in the ground. He's Director Gary McDowell. He is the uh, director for the Michigan Department of Agriculture and Rural Development, and. Um, Director, we want to have you back on the show. We want to have you in studio so we can talk about all the great things that MDAR does uh, to affect the quality of life in Michigan for all of us. And uh, I, we appreciate you coming on to talk about this particular challenge that's turning into a crisis. And we appreciate the letter going out from the governor to Secretary Purdue, and we'll be looking for updates on that as well. Okay, thanks for having me, and once again, I want to commend you for the job that you do for the state and for all the people in the Michigan. Um, the food banks are such a big part of our food system. Well, we're going to stay. System. We're going to stay at it together for sure. Okay. Thank, well, thank you, Director. We'll we'll uh, we'll speak again soon. He's Gary okay. McDowell. That's Jerry Brisson. I'm Dr. Phil Knight. We'll be back in just a moment. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Jerry, some really great guests here that really define reality. And, um, you know, this show is is heart-wrenching in many ways because we know that we know our farmers and you guys at Gleaners and all across our network, we're so dependent on the goodness and generosity of these people who are really growing all the food in our state and giving so much of it to us. And it just breaks my heart for them. Well, there's no question about it. I mean, we have seen 
many of our agricultural uh, industry under severe challenges. We've talked about dairy a lot, and we have a great relationship with our dairy farmers and right. with the United Dairy Industries of Michigan and the Michigan milk producers, and uh, Kroger has Michigan Dairy, yeah. and we're, we're very close to them, and, and we've seen tremendous challenges for them over the last few years not related to the rain. Now they're going to have trouble feeding their cows because the feed available is shrinking by the day, every single day that it rains. Right. And so it's going to add a whole lot more stress to uh, uh, an industry that's already been under a lot of stress. And we just had two dairy farms in the UP close uh, just this last week because yep. they just couldn't make it. And so, you know, these are real people. And uh, and so, of course, we're going to be really focused on the people first, right? That's, yeah. That is really what we do a- across food banking. It's the people that we're concerned about. And sure. it's their stories that we tell. Because when we say food first... We're talking about people who are who are you know going through circumstances like this mm-hmm. that need our help, and that's what motivates us. That's why we do what we do ultimately. So, so we've got you know a couple people on the show today who are the first thing that's on their mind is the people, and we know our listeners understand that too. Well, I think it was particularly encouraging to hear that uh, Director McDowell and his team are partnering with other groups, Michigan State University, their extension program, and and others across the state. Uh, how do we? And they were doing this before rain, right? That I mean, the the farm stress caused by the low commodity market, the tariffs, um, and now the just the inability to help yourself. You know, to you know, there is some crop in the field, but how good is that crop going to be due to the cold and due to the wet? And, you know, as he said, is it going to have the chance to germinate and develop? And what's the yield going to be? And then something we're always wondering in Michigan is when's the first frost coming, you know? And there's, you know, I've been here over 10 years myself and I've, I've seen, I've seen cool weather early. Yeah. And uh, all of that is an effect. And so I'm happy for the leadership of Director McDowell and the governor who's reached out to the Secretary of Agriculture, Sonny Perdue. And uh, I think we're going to have to keep our pulse on this. And it's going to be somewhat of a recurring theme through the summer um, because it does have, and again, I don't think ripples the right word. I mean, it has a dramatic effect across the Michigan economy, but also how much food is available not only for humans, consumption, but also for animal feed. And one of the consequences we know already is going to be increased prices. We don't know how much. But, of course, increased prices affect us in several ways. I mean, when when the average household has to pay more for groceries, it affects how much they can spend just for charity. And some of what we do uh, is raising money for our charitable work, and so we know that's going to be a struggle for some people. Then you get the people we serve that have very limited household budgets already having to stretch those budgets a little bit further, which means there's going to be more need. So you, you see those two things... Uh, automatically having an impact. And then last is our prices to get food sure. are going to go up. So you're going to see more need, less donations, and higher prices all hitting all at once. So not to be telling a sob story, but to just reflect honestly about the things these challenges bring to our work. And so we're going to be working well, pretty hard this summer. You know, I, 
first responsibility of leadership is to define reality. I think it shows a lot better leadership for us to be talking about the possibility of these tsunami of effects that's going to tackle our work and affect our work now uh, rather than when it happens and all of a sudden we look like we didn't see it coming. And, of course, for all of us food banks during the summer, one of our biggest challenges is reaching kids who aren't in school. Hmm. Because when school is out for the summer, kids who are getting one or two or sometimes even three meals at school aren't getting those meals. And so our our demand goes up incredibly every summer just for that reason. So, so you know, we don't want any bad news at this time of year. We got enough to do. Right. And, you know, but we do have to deal with it. And um, I think the conversation with Jeannie Eigel, who's literally got mud on her boots today, uh, trying to figure out, oh, we've got a window here. Let's let's go plant. I mean, just managing this really hour by hour. And, um, you know, and then just the struggles of all that, The as he, as Director McDowell talked about, the farm stress, um, and it happens to their, you know, it affects their families. Multi-generation farm here, um, been farming since 1862. And so, I mean, there's, it's, it's just a lot of stress at a lot of different levels. And we want to, we want to be cognizant of that as well. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you about is we're getting some conflicting numbers. Uh, USDA is, uh, said 84% of the corn in Michigan has been planted. Um, none of the farmers are telling us that. In fact, Director McDowell said something along the line of 63%. So, the, you know, when you think about this in context, and you ask that of, of our guest today, here's a little context. At this time of year, over a five-year period, our average is something like 92 to 99%. And you know, even if uh, USD estimates were right, which we don't think they are, because you're going to explain that to us, and it's we're at 63 percent, we're way low here, and so that yield, even if and if that's down as well, it's going to have a lot of effect on as things you've already described. Yeah, for us. unless it gets really warm really fast and it lasts through September, right? I mean, that's right. that's what has to happen at this point before we get the yields that we normally get. I would say the, the thing about the USDA reports is that they're for different purposes, right? So the USDA has to do a lot of estimating, especially uh, when it comes to putting crops in the ground, and they make some assumptions about how many <laughs> of the total acres are going to be planted. Don't you tell me that's dangerous. To do to, make, I know to assume. Is. I know it is, but they, yet you have to do it. So, how many total acres are going to be planted, the yield for those acres, and how many acres are going to remain unplanted for a variety of reasons? So, they take all of those estimates that they've made and they put them together to say, based on all that information, this is how much of the possible acreage that could be planted is planted now. Well, some of that acreage they didn't expect to be planted anyway. So their their percentage that they give includes those acres that they didn't expect to be planted for some reason or another, not just the total acres that could be planted. So when you're talking about what you hear from farmers versus what you hear from the USDA, the reason those estimates are different is because they're really talking about different things. They're just using the same language. Exactly right. Well, thanks for putting the cookies on the lower shelf there for people like me, because um, 
I mean, I read those two numbers and I was like, 63 and 84, that's that's a pretty big range. That's a pretty yeah. big gap there. So, yeah. And that won't even tighten down until we get another couple weeks in. In June, the end of June, they really do some, some you know, more accurate calculating, and so, it's less estimates and more real information. More, and, more accurate assumptions? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I know. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. <laughs> it's time for a little food for thought. A part of any leader's challenge, as well as the opportunity to prove their worth, is to solve a problem, prevent a crisis, or at least manage one when the time comes. And while crisis isn't exactly on us regarding food scarcity, and hopefully it doesn't ever come to that, having conversations like the one with Jeannie Eigel and Director McDowell from MDARD, as well as Farm Bureau, help us prepare for the worst and yet hope for the best. Especially when it comes to sourcing food for all of us including our hungry neighbors. So, hug a farmer when you see them, because solving hunger for all of us, rich, poor, or in between, starts in the field. And tell them thank you. Thanks for being with us today. Find our thought leader and my co-host, Jerry Brisson, on all social media channels as Jerry, and that's Jerry with a G, Jerry from Gleaners, My wanderings are findable at DrPhil14 on Twitter, and all of our shows are downloadable at foodfirstmichigan.org. Thanks for being with us, and until next time, remember, it really is food first, folks. Food first. Food First Michigan, presented by Farm Bureau Insurance of Michigan and by the Food Bank Council of Michigan, creating a food-secure state.